Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis 7. And put a marker also in Isaiah 55. Genesis 7 and Isaiah 55. As we have been working through the book of Revelation, we should be able to see a pattern that emerges when you consider that the book of Revelation is not simply one long revelation from God. It is at least four visions that God has given to John while he was on Patmos. It is also important to understand that these revelations or visions are not simply in John's head. The first revelation takes place behind him in verse 10 of chapter 1. So if you look at Revelation 1 verse 10, you notice that Jesus, the risen Lord, is behind John and he has to turn around to see him. For comparison, uh, in Acts 9, we are given the unique nature of a heavenly vision in that the risen Jesus Christ appears before Saul. That was his name before he took on his Gentile name of Paul. The risen Jesus appears to him and the brilliance of his presence physically blinds Saul. Even though his companions hear his voice, they hear the voice of Christ in heaven, but they don't see anyone. That's the unique nature of how God's visions work. In other words, we don't understand them. They're on a whole other level. Even as we said from Isaiah 55, his ways are not our ways. The way we do things are not the way God does things. In Revelation, we see that there were at least four visions that John saw as they were introduced the same way by John every time in, he, in using the Greek phrase enumity. In pneumity, it's like a pneumatic. It's a P at the front. Enumity means in his spirit or in the Spirit. The Apostle John uses this phrase in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He uses it in chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 17, verse 3, and chapter 21, verse 10. It almost seems like the four Gospels, doesn't it? Four different perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The first vision, starting in Revelation 1, verse 10, looks at the beginning of God's kingdom on earth, which was inaugurated through Christ Jesus' earthly ministry, culminating in his death on the cross, his burial and resurrection from the grave, being the firstborn among many brethren, or the firstfruits of many brethren. Jesus is the rock not cut out by human hands in Daniel chapter 2. And it is his eternal kingdom that becomes a huge mountain, filling the whole earth while all the other kingdoms of man are destroyed. Do you see any parallel to Noah here? Given that the only kingdom that was established that endured God's wrath was his kingdom on that ark, all the other kingdoms of man were wiped away by the flood. The second vision starts at Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, as I said, and it looks at the coming of God's kingdom from the heavenly perspective. The third vision starts at Revelation 17, verse 3, and it looks at the coming of God's kingdom from the earthly perspective, specifically from a desert. 
The fourth vision starts at Revelation 21, verse 10, where John is taken up in the spirit to a high mountain in order to see the new Jerusalem coming down out of the heaven of God. This vision is a look at the kingdom of God fully realized, with Jerusalem as a city representing the temple of God here on earth as it is in heaven. So why then are we going to Genesis 7 and Isaiah 55? Within these visions are patterns that go from God's warning to his wrath. And the message in the warning is to seek the Lord while he may be found. In other words, there is a season there. However long or short that season is, there is a season where he may be found. This pattern in Genesis helps us to understand the patterns that are unfolding in Revelation where the plans of God that were sealed and revealed And the trumpet blasts the warning of what is coming while the bowls pour out the wrath of God upon the earth. And only those who are sealed in Christ Jesus will emerge victorious in all this tribulation. That's the short of it. Let's look to God's word. I'm going to go through Genesis 7 rather swiftly as some of it is repetitive. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. You know, in Genesis 6, he had talked about destroying the earth, and he explains why, because there's nothing but wickedness in the hearts of mankind all the time. I'm looking into their hearts, I'm looking into their souls, and all I see is evil. There's no goodness there, there's no worship of me, there's no glorification of me. There's no honoring me. It's all evil all the time, except for Noah. So go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also uh, seven of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals of birds, of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after, seven de- after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal, and it goes to repeat it. Down to verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth and all the high mountains and and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. 
The waters rose and covered the mountains to the depth of more than 20 feet. Every living thing that moved on the earth perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath, the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. Men and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. I repeat it. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. You already heard Isaiah 55, 6 through 9 and the assurance of pardon. So I won't read that at this time, but let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, please instruct our hearts. Don't just speak to our heads. Instruct our hearts regarding the seriousness of our situation in your presence in this world. Help us not to make light of it, but to understand it and act in accordance with what we must do to serve and honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you know when the situation is serious? When it's critical? We're kind of in that time of year when the weather can be pretty violent. And when it becomes violent, you look on the, your phone or you, you check the weather station. And you know that it's getting serious when it moves from a watch, a storm watch or especially a tornado watch, to a tornado warning. Because when, it, when it's a tornado watch, that means that the conditions are right for a tornado to appear. But when it's a warning, they're telling you that there's a tornado that's active in your general area. It may not be close to you, but it's somewhere within your city or your community. And you need to take cover. But for some, a warning is not enough. It's not sufficient. Because they've heard warning after warning after warning. And they have never ever seen a tornado even come close to their property. So for them, they're looking out off their porch through the violent turbulence of the, of the dark sky as, as lightning is flash, flashing and, and giving them just moments to see whether there's a tornado that's nearby or not. Is that wise? Is that wise? Are they taking the warning seriously? What if an enemy is stockpiling their weapons and troops just outside of your border? Is that a serious situation? Or do you wait for them to attack before you decide to take action? Perhaps you're thinking about Russia and Ukraine here, but let's consider this from a spiritual point of view. From a spiritual point of view. If you knew that several large demons were outside of your door, outside the door of your house, loaded with their own weapons of war, and God gave you the ability to see them, would you open the door to them? Their mission is to steal, kill, and destroy, same as their master, Satan. 
Their desire is to rob you of every good, good thing God has given you. Would you let them in? Perhaps your initial response is obviously no, especially if you can see their grotesquely evil nature. But demons are spiritual and not visible to our physical eyes. And they are stealthy deceivers who know how to arouse and manipulate your sinful nature. In today's world, they don't need to come through any physical door, through one of their agents, when so many other ways to engage your mind and your heart are available. How many of you have smartphones? Think about what you have access to on that phone. And then what do you allow in through your doors, your eyes, your ears? What do you allow into them? Coming into your mind, whether it is the screen of a TV, a computer, smartphone, a conversation with friends, sitting in a lecture. Are you allowing that which is evil to enter in through music, knowledge, images, and so forth? Do you see the seriousness of the threat or have you listened to the tempter's whisper that there is nothing to be concerned about here? These things are not threats. They are just signs of a culture becoming more progressive and advanced. Oh, really? Advanced? Do you see the advancement of evil in our nation? in our culture? How do you think it grew to such strength as it has now? How do we respond to evil today? We know that it grew stronger because the church became complacent. It became comfortable. We lose sight of the seriousness of our situation. We realize that the Apostle Paul tells us to dress in the armor of God. And we, we feel like we do that for a while and then it doesn't seem like the threat is really there when it always has been. The question is, are you taking it seriously? How do we respond today to the threat of evil in our land, even as it addresses and challenges our hearts. Well, first of all, you personally need to shut the door on the devil. When he tempts you, trying to get into your heart and into your mind, you shut him out. And you say, well, that's easy to say, and you're right, it's not easy. It's hard. Because in order to shut the devil out, you have to have the light of the Spirit convicting you. The passage in Psalm 139 where the psalmist cries out, Search me and know my anxious heart. Show me what harmful ways are inside of me. The things that are causing friction or, or, or severance from between us, God, or, or, or creating havoc between my relationship with my spouse or my, my kids or my family or my neighbors or what have you. What's, what's going on here? Show it to me that I might confess it and that you might destroy it. Do you ask Jesus to destroy your sin? In Psalm 91, it's interesting that it talks about a young lion and an older lion. A young lion is not that strong. It's not that mature. It's not that experienced. 
still has a lot of fight in it and you don't want to tangle with it. But it's not like an older lion who has a great deal of experience, has won all of its wars, and is still kicking. The older lion is the devil. The younger lion refers to demons. And the issue is you might have a tangle with these guys and think that, okay, the battle's over, and it's not over. The old lion is still out there, and Peter tells you, he says he's, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that is his intent, to devour your life, to destroy your life, to consume it. He's out there. How do you deal with him? How do you stand against him? But by the power of the King of kings and Lord of lords. I remember Ken Davis talking about how frustrated he was that we are considered as sheep. Paul says we're sheep led to the slaughter. And and sheep are are not mean, strong, powerful animals. They're very humble and lowly. And oftentimes foolish, as you know. You guys were at the fair just this last week. If you had sheep there, you know all about that. And what chance do we have as sheep against a lion? Unless there's a greater lion standing guard and watch over us, who is Christ. What chance do we have unless we are in Christ? Do we understand our place and our position? Are we clinging to Christ Jesus? Are we fleeing to Him? Are we seeking Him each and every day? Knowing that He is our strength and He is our shield. And apart from Him, we are weak and frail and vulnerable. If you think that you can stand against the devil on your own, that is folly. He will deceive you and he will seek to destroy you. Our only hope is through Christ Jesus and the Spirit's counsel that illumines our hearts regarding where we truly stand and who we truly are and what our needs truly are in in God's presence. And we need to remember as the Holy Spirit illumines our hearts and minds that we are the light of the world. How do we change things around? We, we proclaim the truth of Christ. We proclaim His Word and we don't shrink back from it. We declare it knowing that God will bless it if we are faithful to Him. Again, we need to have a right understanding in our mind of who we are in Christ Jesus and the evil we are facing. With that said, we are to remain faithful as Noah, faithful to God as Noah was. Hebrews 10 verses 23 through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more infers what? A sense of urgency. A sense of urgency. There is always hope in times of warning. There is no hope when you face God's judgment as one who stands condemned by your own sin. This was Noah's message prior to the great flood. But this is the message of the gospel to all who are within, its, within hearing of it. If you die today in your sins, 
and stand before the Lord of glory, you will be judged, you will be condemned and forever separated from God, from his provision. I woke up in this morning, I woke up this morning and I, I looked at the grass, it's still green, trees are still green. I looked at the beauty of the sky, I was listening to the birds sing, I was just taking in God's creation. And realizing that judgment means that if I am not in Christ Jesus, that all the glory that God brings through His creative power is gone. It's taken away. And you are left just with yourself. As I said last week, it's C.S. Lewis's statement. There are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to the Lord, your will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, your will be done. If you want to be your own God, here you go. Here's, a, here's some dark space out in the middle, midst of eternity. Have at it. Create your own world. You're not living in mine anymore. This is what Noah understood. In Genesis 6, if you want to turn there in your Bibles... Actually, go back to Genesis 7. We're talking about a worldwide flood here, and the evidence is all about us. But again, there is warning before the outpouring of God's wrath. In Genesis 6, God says He is going to wipe mankind from the face of the earth, men and animals. And God says why. It is because of the greatness of man's wickedness that every inclination... In other words, even what you're inclined to think of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So the Lord said, he said to whom? Humanity's not listening to him. It's like when you proclaim a gospel message and everybody walks away. The community wants to hear what you're saying. Then once they hear that it's the gospel, they walk away. They don't want to hear it. So who's he speaking to? He's speaking to Noah who Peter calls the preacher of righteousness. Noah was one who walked with God and was blameless among the people of his time, the word says. This means that they recognized Noah as a just, honest, and most likely humble man who reflected the nature of God in their midst. They understood this about him. They knew Noah was different. What did Noah preach? He preached the righteousness of God, of course. Noah preached that God is going to judge the world with a flood and why he's going to do it. This would be no different than than Jonah going into Nineveh and proclaiming to the people of Nineveh 40 more days and Nineveh would be overthrown. The only difference would be the scale of the judgment. The people of Nineveh said overthrown, overthrown by whom? By God. What did the king and all the people of Nineveh do? They humbled themselves and they repented of their sin before God and God relented of his anger and spared them. What would have happened to Nineveh if they had not done this? They would have been destroyed as God's prophet had proclaimed. For over a hundred years, Noah is proclaiming the righteous judgment of God through his words and actions. For over a hundred years, Noah and his family are building a massive boat, not to serve as a luxury liner, but to preserve their own families, to preserve the plants for food, to preserve the animals that God wanted them to preserve. 
They were also commanded to take the food as well. At the end of Genesis 6 and verse 22, we read, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The season of warning is over. The time of judgment is at hand. The first five verses of chapter 7 are a summary and affirmation of Noah's faithfulness to God's word as we see these words repeated in verse 5, that Noah did what? Everything just as God had commanded him. In verses 6 through 10, the emphasis is on Noah and the animals entering the ark seven days before the floodwaters came upon the earth. 120 years of work to build the ark, seven days to fill it. All of this work, warning the whole world of the coming judgment of God, and instead of heeding the warning, instead of hearing it, Through Noah, humbling themselves and repenting before God, the world stood fast in their prideful unbelief and evil ways. They stood fast in their rebellion against God, their Creator. We see this same theme in Revelation. Instead of humbling themselves, the world stood fast against God in their pride and unbelief. This is the heinous nature of sin. It deludes you into not taking your situation before the Almighty God seriously until it's too late and the warning is turned into judgment. The same pattern, as I said, is revealed in Revelation. Whereas God's people remain faithful to Him, striving to do what God has commanded them, while the rest of the world scoffs and arrogantly defies the warnings of God through His people and even through nature. It's the mindset of, yes, we have lived here all our lives. And despite the warnings, we have never seen a tornado hit our property. So why is this time any different than all the others? Because today an F6, something that's been unheard of before, something that has the power to annihilate everything in its path completely. An F6 tornado is heading your way. And if you see it from your porch... It's already too late for you. If you die and leave this world unconverted, it's too late. It's too late. You're coming before God in judgment. And that judgment is eternal. Genesis 7 verse 11 says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, On the seventeenth day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. Noah recorded the precise day the Lord poured out His judgment upon the earth. Whenever you hear in the Bible the speech from a prophet about the day of the Lord, they're referring back to this. That when it happens, it happens, and you cannot get away from it. You know the rest of the story. All who were kept within the ark survived the wrath of God. Everything outside of the ark died being wiped away by God's wrath. Now the ark of God, the ark Noah built, represents the kingdom of God, which is sealed by Christ. You remember Yahweh is the one who shut them in. He shut the door and closed them in showing forth that it's through His righteous protection 
that Noah and everything in that ark is going to be preserved regardless of how wrathful these waters become. And they are saved by grace. By grace I mean again the undeserved righteousness of God that preserves us. The ark foreshadows the Christian being sealed by the blood of Christ Jesus. Isaiah 53 following prophesies about the humiliation of Christ Jesus culminating in his death on the cross, taking up upon himself our sin up to Jesus' exaltation uh, through his resurrection, even looking to his second coming. Isaiah 54, if you read through that, it looks at the estate of Christ's church who was like a barren woman. In other words, she could not produce a righteous person. We look at the Bible and it says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one who seeks after God, who seeks after His righteousness. Not even with Noah. Noah is still a sinful man. There is none who is righteous, no, not one. And yet when Christ Jesus came into this world, because He lived a righteous and holy life, offered that life as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin. The fruit of that brought forth righteousness to us and it is seen at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is poured out into the minds and hearts of His people. And the church that was barren is now having children left and right because of the fruitfulness of Christ Jesus granting us His Spirit of righteousness. And it says that the fruit of the Desolate woman, the one who was barren, will be more fulfilled, will be greater than the woman who is married, the people who belong to this world. In Isaiah 54, 9, God hearkens back to the days of Noah when He promises the church that He will never rebuke her again as His rebuke, His judgment fell upon His Son in our place. Even though we struggle with sin, we have a new covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone who truly believes on Jesus Christ will be saved. Everyone who truly believes on Jesus Christ will have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. And this is something fascinating to me as I've been working through this. If you look at the four visions of John that I spoke of earlier in the book that make up the book of Revelation, And it's recorded in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, chapter 4, verse 2, 17, verse 3, and 21, verse 10. You need to see that Jesus' book of life is mentioned in all of those visions. Jesus, the Lamb's book of life, is mentioned in all of those visions. The book of life is mentioned in Revelation 3, verse 5, which is in the first vision. 13, verse 8, chapter 13, verse 8, referring to the second vision. Chapter 17, verse 8, which is in the third vision. And twice in the fourth vision in Revelation 20, verse 12, and 21, 27. What does this tell you? All the creatures and humans preserved in the ark represented a new creation in a new world, foreshadowing our life in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come.
The reason I bring up Isaiah 55, 6 through 11 is for the phrase, seek the Lord while he may be found. You say, well, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. What does that mean? It means that his salvation will last for a season. Seek the Lord while he may be found refers to a season of time. If you turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, looking at verses 8 through 11a, after Peter speaks of the day of God's judgment, he writes, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. As I was reading that, I was thinking that's interesting when you consider that many theologians and creation scientists consider the earth to be around 6,000 years old. That would be tied to six days, wouldn't it? Peter continues in verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is all of the elect being gathered in. I'm going to fulfill my plan of redemption. And it includes all my people. I'm not going to burst out and just get angry because I'm so upset with the world that I can't take it anymore. That's not who God is. That might be who we are, but that's not who God is. God is going to be patient to the very end, suffering with us to the very end until all His people are gathered in to Christ. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be, he says. You ought to live holy and godly lives. What kind of people ought we to be in this world when we see all the wickedness and evil before us? The season of warning will be long, God not wanting any of his people to perish. But the judgment will be swift. So again, what kind of people should you and I be? We ought to live holy and godly lives. Just like Noah, reflecting the glory and grace of God to the people of this world. So that there may be some and hopefully many, many who will believe and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who can free from their, free them from their sin and usher them into his heavenly kingdom that lasts forever. That is who we need to be. Be wary of that which is serious. Give your heart and understanding to that before the Lord. Do not be distracted by the things of this world that are not that serious. There is an eternal verdict out there We need to keep that before us when we look into the eyes and hearts of people who are around us, especially those who are lost. Amen.